Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise! The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years! The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public. On appointment-only basis, she offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses. TheWiseWomanSchool.com Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course wisewomanschool.com You can also just go to her website susanweed.com where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Doing extra especially well. How about you? I'm doing good, yeah. (laughs) All right, all right. Mm -hmm. Settling into Mm -hmm. your new spot. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot to do, but settling in, yeah. So I got to um, – I finally got a surge of energy yesterday to unpack some stuff and to set up my space a little bit more. It's a process for me. I've moved so many times, I think, that I stall, like, um, <laughs> unpacking. <laughs> right, right. You know what? It's hard. It's hard to completely uh, settle in quickly anyway. Yeah. Oh, I think mm-hmm. it is for all of us. There's still a piece of molding that I took down in 1978 that I haven't put back up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Justine reminds me that we can think of ten times more things to do than we can actually do. Yeah, yeah. So that is yeah. reassuring. That of course mm-hmm. you can think of more things to do than you have time to do. Would we really have it any other way? And right. especially at the harvest season, right? Especially yeah. when it seems like everything is blooming and fruiting and ripening and seeding and calling out and saying, come out here and harvest me. Mm-hmm. And there's this, I have this great big backyard that has these raised beds, but there's nothing growing in them. And I'm, I am like in kind of a, a grieving of my old garden. <laughs> well, I mean, it's still yeah. there, the garden is, but it's not being maintained by me in the same way. And it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty heartbreaking for me right now. So <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. I recently so I, hear you. The plants and the associations mm-hmm. with those plants have mm. been, Left at the previous place. Mm-hmm. But endure in yeah. your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'll be moving. Dorothy, I'll be moving some of them coming up. Yeah, and Dorothy McLean at Fintorn says, and the plants have told me as well that they don't individuate. That if you make a connection with Hero, you've made a connection with all Hero everywhere in the world. Mm, yeah, I feel that for sure. I'm always excited to see uh, familiar friends when I travel. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Mhm. Mhm. So yeah, just uh, I'm doing good. It's just a lot. I'm in a transition. Just in lots of transition still, and my kids are in a lot of transition. And uh, yeah, it's. Yeah, and we are all in a lot of transition and a lot of. What's our mm-hmm. best move? our best decision and it's hard to know Mm -hmm. yeah no and if you go anywhere it's super weird (laughs) (laughs) we have an interesting guest tonight at nine o'clock pamela fisher she's the founder and president of the berkeley herbal center in berkeley california and it is a non-profit organization which serves the community as a school a community clinic and a dispensary wow she has a year-round community clinic, and she's going to be telling us about her 30 years of study and why she's doing what she's doing. Um, so stay mm-hmm. tuned for Pamela Fisher at 9 o'clock, or come back and join us then. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Um, we don't have anybody queued up with a question right now, so if you have a question, make sure yeah, to press 1. Wonderful. Know that there are no problems anywhere in the world. 
No problems. Um, we must bask in the delight of no problems, even though we know it's only momentary. Nonetheless, we can enjoy it. Mm-hmm. How about what are you up to out there, Susan? Mm. We have been looking at Solanaceae plants. There's a beautiful clump of volunteer tomatoes with a volunteer squash. They always seem to grow together, don't they? Mm-hmm. And um, they're, you know, robustly flowering. And then there's a wild husk tomato that's local to our area. And a couple of nightshades that grow here. The uh, Solanum nigrum, the black nightshade, which has perfectly spherical berries, which start out green and then get kind of a mottled purpley green and then turn black. As a matter of fact, I've seen it for sale in some garden catalogs, the seeds of it for sale, because it's a a very fast-growing annual. Um, It's garden huckleberry. Mm. Like most fruits of plants in the Solanaceae family, the ripe fruits are edible. The green ones are kind of woo-woo. So even though it's called nightshade, um, the ripe fruits are okay to eat. We also have bittersweet nightshade, Solanum dulcamare, uh, which has the most beautiful flowers. People really notice it because the flowers are purple and bright yellow. And they're pretty typical of the Solanaceae family, which has uh, five petals joined. Petunias are in this family. And the petals are very joined in petunias. And tomatoes, they're much less joined. They're only joined at the bottom, so they kind of flare out. And then they're like a beak of the sexual parts sticking out. Um, often in different colors. And in the Solanum docomare and the bittersweet nightshade, the petals are purple and the flowering parts are yellow, this bright yellow beak. And if you pick a sprig of it and take it home and stick it in water, it will delight you because unlike most cut flowers, which just kind of like go, oh, I can't believe you did that, um, bittersweet nightshade says, oh, great, that's wonderful. It puts out roots. And it'll grow all summer long in a jar on your windowsill so long as you keep changing the water, keep the water fresh. Mm-hmm. So that's what we've been doing, of course, talking about the other um, nightshades, the potatoes and the eggplant and the peppers and the potatoes. And... Um, we talk about these at the magical the magical plants workshop too, because they're considered witches' plants, and that's partly because the ones that grow in Europe, like belladonna and henbane, are really poisonous. And, and the ones do you use those in- for anything? The belladonna and the henbane and the curra too, access- right? I don't have access to them. Mm-hmm. Would you use those poisonous plants if you did? Like, would you experiment with them, or is it not something that's... Well, I haven't. Uh, poisonous plants are not very attractive to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And generally, if a plant contains a poison, we're better off using it as a drug. 
because right. then we can take a controlled amount of that poison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not such a big deal if nettle has a little more or a little less calcium, but it's a very big deal <laughs> if foxglove has a little more or a little less um, of the cardiac glycosides. Uh-huh. So the more poisonous the plant is, the less safe it is to use it as a plant. Mm-hmm. And so in general what happened was that when the edible nightshades of the New World were introduced to Europe, the Europeans being wise wouldn't eat them. I'm sure you've seen little peppers grown as decorative plants, yes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the Italians grew tomatoes as decorative plants for over a hundred years before anybody dared to eat one. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I did not know that. And huh. um, an ad popped up on my screen today, and it said, the worst food in the world you can eat is tomatoes. You're poisoning yourself every time you eat a tomato. And I thought, wow, yeah. the, the the nightshade myth dies really hard. Of oh, course, in microbiotics, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And um, Anne-Marie, uh, my teleseminar guest last Thursday, Anne-Marie was talking about microbiotics and mm-hmm. how she got started feeding people through a variety of things, including microbiotics. And macrobiotics, you know, it literally says that nightshade plants grow at night and therefore they are female. And, of course, the whole goal of macrobiotics is to be more young, less, you know, more male and less female. So you don't eat any potatoes or tomatoes, and, right? The only eggplant you have in macrobiotics is the eggplant that you put in the oven and burned it to charcoal, and then you use that to brush your teeth with. Because, mm-hmm. of course, heating and burning something makes it more young. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I remember reading Rudolf Steiner. He he wrote the potatoes, like, dull the intellect, but... <laughs> How do you come up with such a thing? Ah, oh, the poor potato. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and that was before Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> Epitome of a, of a potato head, right? Oh, you potato head. Yes, well. So the the um, glorious and uh, suspicious nightshade family. Mm-hmm. I taught at yeah. a wonderful garden up in Quebec, and her herb garden um, covered acres uh, on a hill. And she had her witch's garden. That's what she called it, her witch's garden. It's very top of the hill. So you had to be really devoted to get all the way up there. And she had nightshades. She had belladonna and henbane and other nightshades as well. And some teenage girls um, made it all the way up to the top, and they you know, read the placard that said it was belladonna. 
and that belladonna means beautiful lady. So they decided if they ate some, they would be beautiful, and they passed out. And they, the ambulance uh, attendants were very upset that they had to walk all the way to the top of the of the hill to get these passed out teens. But they didn't die. They used to use it to make their pupils dilate, right? And that was the right. sign of beauty. That's the the belladonna thing, yeah. Yeah. Well, we have had one person queue up with a question. You want to go ahead and go for that question, Susan? Let's do it. Okay. This caller is coming from the 916 area code. Hello? Hello. How are you tonight? Hi, Susan. I'm great. How are you? Doing well. Tell me what's up. Well, um, I am calling. I recently started my own sustainable, locally sourced material, herbal apothecary and beauty products business. And as I'm going along looking for uh, materials for my tinctures, I'm finding it difficult to find organic vodka. And I'm wondering if you have an, if you can guide me on this of wondering, um, is it, is there a difference? Like, is it okay if I don't use organic vodka, if I'm committed to using organic products, but there's nobody in my area making organic vodka? I don't know of any organic vodka, but how much, residue of any chemical would wind up in the vodka is the real question, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, right? Like, if it's distilled a bunch of times and that kind of is a purification process. Well, so far as I know, it's not distilled a bunch of times. It's distilled distilled once. And I You could call it a purification process, but basically what it is is a concentration process, right? Okay. And what we're concentrating is the alcohol. Right. So we we take some kind of food stuff, like grain or potatoes, and we add yeast to it, and the yeast eats the starch. And turns it into alcohol. Okay. And then it's just. So the question is if there's any chemicals in the starch, would it be in the alcohol? I don't know. If so, I would say that they would be water soluble chemicals rather than oil-soluble chemicals. But again, I could be wrong. It's my best guess. And water-soluble chemicals leave the body pretty readily. Okay. It's certainly a somewhat difficult path. I used to wholeheartedly recommend red moon herbs as a place to get tinctures because they use fresh herbs. But they decided that organic was more important than vodka. So they're using um, organic, high-proof grain alcohol rather than 100-proof vodka. Okay. Um, is it is 
is 80 proof vodka okay or is no. it 100 proof? No, it must be 100 proof. That, that's what I thought. I had read somewhere, you know, on the Internet, which is not always the most reliable place, that said you could use 80 proof. That was another one of my questions for you. So that's good to know. When you're making a tincture, using a process called osmosis. Osmosis is the desire of the things that are dissolved in a liquid to be the same on both sides of a semi-permeable membrane. And the semi-permeable membrane is the cell wall of the plant. Most plants are about 75% water. When we use 80-proof vodka, that's 60% water. So the difference is 15%. Okay. So it's not a very big difference. When we use 100-proof vodka, which is only 50% water, the difference is 25%, which is a significant difference. That is, that is. And you can't just take more of a tincture made with 80 proof because you didn't get the stuff in the first place. So taking more isn't going to get you any more of what isn't there. Okay. That is that is very reassuring and great information. I, I needed to know that and hear it from you specifically, the expert. And the nice thing about 100 proof vodka is that it is half water and half alcohol. So you also get the water soluble compounds as one as well as the ones that are uniquely dissolvable in alcohol. Okay. I can also say that I have used tinctures and lavishly um, for as my primary medicine for over 30 years using 100 proof vodka that I simply bought at the liquor store and I have not seen that there's any health consequences to it. Okay. That's excellent. Except, of course, that my health is better. Yes, with your with the tincture medicine. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I ask you another question? You just did. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I certainly did. Well, I do have another question for you, if that would be okay. Now you've asked me yet another question without really <laughs> asking me a question. How long are you going to draw this out? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was trying to get around and figure out how to ask without asking, but um, I will get to the point. Um, oregano tincture, what, do you, what, what is going on with oregano tincture, and can I, how, yeah, what, is, what are the benefits of making oregano tincture? I don't know. I've never made oregano tincture. What kind of oregano do you have? Is it an oregano you're growing? Is it a wild oregano? Oh, it's an oregano that my cousin is growing. She's growing organically. Um, I'm not. I'm not totally sure which um, which variety it is. Mm-hmm. I've just been considering making an oregano tincture because I... Oregano is a member of the mint family, 
and all of the mint family plants are known to be helpers to digestion and they are known to be helpers to respiration. Many of the mints are mildly stimulating, but at the same time antispasmodic, so they relieve cramps. And many of the mints, like lemon balm and lavender and motherwort, relieve anxiety. The more volatile oil the mint has, and the more concentrated that volatile oil is, the more antibacterial effect the plant has. So oregano tincture could be used in any of those ways. Excellent. It's very aromatic oregano. What I like is oregano vinegar, especially with some garlic in it. Oh, that sounds nice. We don't, don't always have to be using herbs as tinctures. Vinegars are a good way to get herbs into our daily life. Yes, I, I appreciate that. I like that. Yeah, one of my uh, students at, uh, in Germany who was a pharmacist um, thought that the vinegars were so wonderful that she started selling them at her pharmacy. Oregano vinegar, of course, could be used as a hair rinse, as a mouthwash, as an uh, underarm application, as a deodorant. Oh, nice. I've been wanting to find something that works a little bit better as a deodorant. And maybe I'll try some of the, some oregano vinegar or deodorant. Yes. Um, the classic mint used in that way is sage, because sage is also an antiperspirant. Oh, it is. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. I am writing everything down. I'm taking lots of notes as I as I talk to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's easy to strain the vinegar and put it in a spray bottle and just spray under your arms with it. Yeah. Sounds nice and, and refreshing. Nice, cool mist. Absolutely. And also, Queen Anne's Lace grows everywhere around me. And I also work on a flower farm, and we grow Queen Anne's Lace. And I'm wondering if you have some suggestions for Queen Anne's Lace. We eat as much of it as we can because the flowers are tasty and so are the leaves. The leaves are, the leaves are a really excellent source of potassium. You can make a vinegar of Queen Anne's lace flowers and leaves, but it's not a really interesting vinegar. In other words, it doesn't have a really bold or interesting taste like oregano vinegar, sage vinegar, rosemary vinegar, bergamot vinegar, thyme vinegar, all of those exciting tastes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, Robin Rose Bennett popularized the use of wild carrot seed as a contraceptive. And primarily the women that she was working with were just taking the wild carrot seed um, as whole seed. But I know that at one point she did do uh, some tests or some trials 
with um, wild carrot seed tincture. Oh. So I do not know if any market or any desire among women or if that's something that's useful or being used. But her name is Robin Rose Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T. And I bet you could find her and, you know, find out if uh, making Queen Anne's lace seed tincture uh, might be something that women would find useful or if what Robin has to say is that didn't work. Yeah, yeah, that's that's excellent. How much, how many, like, if you were going to use the seeds, what is the suggested amount of seeds that you would use if you're going to ingest just the seeds? I talk about it in Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year. And there mm-hmm. I say that in India, uh, women take a tablespoon full of seeds for three days following a possible fertilizing intercourse. And I think that Robin Rose tried a variety of different things from um, something like that um, with just taking the seeds following a possible fertilizing intercourse to taking a lesser amount of seeds from ovulation on um, to taking some seeds on a daily basis. Um, So, again, she would be the one who could give you the best answer to those kinds of questions. Excellent. Yes, I have her. I wrote her name down. I will be definitely checking her out. Great. Um, One more question about uh, magic and plants, specifically herbs and plants for manifestation. Could you let me know a little more what you mean by manifestation? Um, so, like, uh, when it comes to, like, visualizing and meditating on a goal that that I have or some a place that I'd like to see myself um, in business or where I want to live, and um, then, like, a way to enhance my meditation with with herbs. You know, and similarly, like maybe I put mugwort under my pillow to enhance my dreams. Then, like, there is a there is an herb, like a tea that I might be able to drink while I'm sitting with my intention and my manifestation in meditation. Ginkgo. Or any of the adaptogens. All of the adaptogens are renowned for improving mental focus. Okay, so like Tulsi. Tulsi basil. Which is a mint family plant. Like the oregano. Yes. Lamiaceae. Mint family follows me. Mint family is close to my heart. <laughs> so useful and aromatic and just it's a it's a wonderful plant family. One of my favorites. 
So of course, of course, it would be the Tulsi basil. <laughs> Since you have that, I take it. Since you have access to it, I do. Yes, I have access to that. I have lots of access to that, and it oh. is it's a lot. A lot of my my herbal medicine and the things that I make are. It's, I, I'm very committed to locally sourced materials. So whatever I can get, whatever the, the farmer I work for is growing or people within my area. I'm in South Jersey right now. And, yeah, Tulsi basil is one of those things. And where, and did, you, where did you say you are? I'm in South Jersey. Ah, lush area. Yes, quite. Quite lush. Lots of mosquitoes. <laughs> and blueberries. <laughs> yes, and blueberries. And the goldenrod will be coming to us soon. I'm, yes, I'm excited. Yes, it's already getting its first blush of gold here. Oh, yeah, up in New York? Yes. Very nice. I haven't seen it yet. I've been, I'm waiting, though. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for um, your interesting questions. Thank you. Thank you so much. I have listened to this this um, radio program for years on and off. I have the Wise Woman Herbal book, and I really appreciate your approach to herbal medicine. It's, it feels like welcoming and accessible and feminine and very connected and rooted in the earth and you're spiritually connected to the plant you can read it through your words and i i thank you so much for what you do and thank you for carrying it on green blessings and good night green blessings all right our next caller is coming from the 613 area code Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Good evening. How are you this evening? I'm I'm very good. How are you? And thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, I I have a question about like a dental issue on dogs. I have a ten year old uh, Chihuahua, and um. My vet said that my my pet, my dog, has a tartar build up, and one of the tooth looks infected. She's so she's recommending a dental surgery. So I'm I'm just kind of I'm, I'm thinking twice about the surgery, but if I don't have any alternative, so I may have to proceed. But so I'm I'm calling you. And I'm wondering if you have any suggestion of what herbal medicine I can give to my dog. Maybe there's other way. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. Well, let's talk about this just at first. Um, as from a couple of perspectives. Okay. So... Julia de Berkeley-Levy says that in the wild, the dog would not eat every day. Mm-hmm. 
that it would make a kill and it would eat quite a lot. But that might only be like, you know, that it would eat two or three days out of the week. And she personally felt that giving dogs grain-based food um, led to dental problems. Oh, okay. I've never kept a dog, so I don't really have an opinion on it. The cat that is currently living with me will eat only kibble yeah. and nothing else, okay. So, except the occasional chip. Yeah. I wish she had a taste for mice, personally. At least she could have sent them away. <laughs> um, so given that, then, um, as in a human diet, with a human diet, doesn't provide the kind of roughage that a, shall we say, more native diet would, mm-hmm. then the tartar that's on the teeth gets a chance to build up, and it hardens much like coral does in the ocean. Yeah. And while brushing and flossing get rid of it, if done regularly... Once it's allowed to build up like coral, it becomes quite difficult to get rid of. Yeah. And in a human being, the procedure is called the scaling. And it's not really surgery because the human being will lay there with their mouth open and not bite. Yeah. But your dog won't do that. Yeah, no. Yeah. So the dog has to be put under anesthesia. Yeah, that's what my vet is, yeah, telling me. So that the vet doesn't get bitten while the vet is cleaning the tartar off the dog's teeth. Mm. And the hardened tartar, like coral, provides a lot of homes for things to live in. And in the ocean, that's great because fish and other things live in the coral, but in your mouth, it ain't so good because bacteria live there. Yeah. And those bacteria then inflame the gums, and they can actually even eat away at the bone that the tooth is in. Okay. Many humans, if they have a tooth that hasn't been taken care of or tartar's been allowed to build up, they wind up losing that tooth, and then before they can have an implant to replace the tooth, they need bone graft. Now, given all of that, let's also ask ourselves, what is the life expectancy of the kind of dog this dog is? This dog is already 10 years old. Yeah, she's 10. Uh, I've read that um, Chihuahua has like a 12-year lifespan. Exactly. What I was getting at, this dog does not have, in general... Another 10 years to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she, then you might ask yourself, what would be less traumatic for the dog? Would it be less traumatic for the dog to have surgery and get rid of the tartar? Or would it be less traumatic for the dog for me to see if I can use herbs to deal with the infection and just let the tartar stay there and let the dog die with that? Probably won't die because of it. Yeah. No, I'm not going to let let her die because of it, so I may have to, yeah, I'll, I'll have to proceed with surgery then. 
so do you, did the vet say the dog would die because of it without the surgery? Uh, no, she didn't say that. But Well, um, I'm not saying that either. I'm saying the dog could probably live at her lifespan without the surgery. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. But if the vet did not say, have the surgery or your dog dies, again, the surgery is traumatic. Uh, yeah, I know. Especially in a small dog and a dog who's already 10 years old. Yeah, and she's, she's kind of old. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So if what's happening is there's infection in the gums, and there are several anti-infective herbs that you could use. See if okay. you can get infection under control. Yarrow is one of them. Oh, it can yarrow? Be used. Yarrow. Yarrow tincture in vodka can be used directly as a mouthwash. So if oh. you and your chihuahua have a good enough relationship, you can dip a toothbrush in yarrow tincture and brush your chihuahua's teeth. Oh, okay. And she's, uh, I doesn't ha- I, it doesn't have to be diluted in water? like. No. Okay, so from tincture, it's like how many drops? Cats can be cats can be very reactive to tinctures, and I would never do this with a cat. But most dogs uh-huh. are okay. If you're worried that your dog, because she's small, might react to the alcohol, it's always a possibility. Just put a drop no, uh, of it on her lips yeah, first, and wait uh-huh. for you know ten to fifteen minutes. And if she doesn't react, then you're probably safe to go ahead with the toothbrush. Yeah, because I tried her. I have a yarrow tincture, actually. I'm using it for, like, uh, brushing my teeth. So I tried it once, and she seems like it because she's still looking at it. Every time I show her, she's, like, lying down, and, you know, and she's okay, like, putting, you know. I, I usually just put, like, one drop on my fingertip and then spread it on her uh, yeah. you want the tooth, you want if possible to brush her teeth because the mechanical action of the brushing helps to loosen the tartar. Yeah, so I'm gonna. I, I usually just brush her teeth first, and then I tried once, like put the yarrow tincture, and it doesn't have any reaction at all, and she seems to like it. So I can just uh, uh, put it directly, like few drops, or just put it on the like uh, brush and. Uh, that's what I do. I dip the brush into the yarrow tincture and then use it to brush. Okay. I'll do that because right. I tried the yarrow and it looks fine. I said I wanted to ask you if that would be okay. And Absolutely. And if your dog has an infection, if there is infection present, then some echinacea tincture taken internally, say with some milk, wherever you can okay. get her to take the tincture can help to quell that actual infection. Oh, so echinacea, how many yes. how many drops and how many times a day? I depending on the severity of the infection, I mm-hmm. usually use a drop for every two pounds of body weight. Mm-hmm. So your chihuahua weighs what? Under ten pounds? No, four four point eight pounds. Exactly, under ten pounds. Okay, so um, I would say five drops of echinacea tincture. Every day? And depending on the severity of the infection, that can be taken as infrequently as two or three times a day or as frequently as every couple of hours. 
Okay. And I don't know how bad the infection that you're dealing with is. Yeah, because she's she looks fine. She's able to eat her uh, her kibble, and she's I saw her chewing, and then and when I touch um her mouth, especially that particular tooth, she's she's not you know reacting or it doesn't look like it's like really painful. So. So she's not in a lot of pain. I think so. That's why I'm just a little scared about what my vet told me. So. <laughs> So she is in pain or she isn't in pain? I can't tell, but I don't think because she's, she can eat. She can still eat the kibble and then she's and still... So why you, I'm not sure why you're so concerned about what the vet told you. Yeah, well, sometimes they're kind of scary, but then I, I, I didn't actually agree with it right away. It's been almost like um, a week. So I'm, I said, I don't think I'm going to go for that surgery. I'll I'll try to call you. I said, maybe there's some other way. It's too much for her to do the surgery. She's, she's old. She is an older dog, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is very helpful, the Yarrow tincture. I do have it. And then the other one, Chinesia. Chinesia, if there is actual infection. I'm a little... Unclear. It doesn't sound to me like there's much actual infection, if any at all. Yeah. Since there's no discomfort and there doesn't appear to be any fever. Mm-hmm. Well, initially, when I tried to brush her her teeth, uh, there's like a little like bleeding on that particular area. But then, when I tried to put that uh, yarrow tincture, I tried. So as I go along, it. It doesn't, like, kind of bleed anymore. I don't see any bleeding anymore. Excellent. So, That's one of the things that yarrow definitely does. Yeah, I thought yarrow is just for, like, us humans, so I was a little kind of scared about giving it, like, a full, like, use of yarrow. Really, at the Barclay Levy was once asked, when are you going to write an herbal for people? And she said, everything oh. I have written about animals you can use for people. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that's really good to know. And I'm going to have to start, like, you know, dipping the brush into that yarrow, and then I'm going to... And she likes it. She really likes the taste. I don't know why, but then she's, like, lying down every time she sees me holding the little bottle. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, even I'm, like, putting my finger inside her mouth. She's, like, you know, she's yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> Trying to like hide, or you know, you, you know, if the dog doesn't want to touch her mouth, but she's just lying there and she's gonna. <laughs> so she's so. Uh, uh, and I'm and I'm so thankful, very much. Like thank you, thank you, very much appreciated. Like. You are thank welcome. You. Thanks for calling. Green blessings again. Bye. The next caller is coming from the 907 area code, and if you have a question, make sure to press 1 to speak with Susan. Hey, Susan. I have a question about black currants. Um, I've got tons of black currants, and I'm thinking of making a tincture. Have you done that before? I haven't, but there's no reason why you couldn't make black currant tincture. 
So it would be the same recipe, half of fill a jar with half of currants and then hundred proof dried currants? Uh, no, they're fresh. Well, then why are you only filling your jar half full? <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was the recipe. Oh, so I should just fill the whole jar up with the currants. Well, what recipe are you referring to? I guess it's the recipe for the dried. <laughs> well, with dried, you use about a third of a jar full of dried plant material. Oh, okay. Okay. All right, so then I just fill the whole the jar with the fresh uh-huh. black. And yeah, but let vodka. me ask you what the use of making a black currant tincture is. Um, for colds, antiviral, immunity. Black That's current, what I was thinking. Black, black currant tincture does that, or black currants do that. I think both, but I want to have it. I want the currants in the winter, so that's what I'm thinking of doing the tincture. Uh huh. Well, here's what I think. I could be wrong about it, but like currants, like many small fruits, blueberries and blackberries and cherries and strawberries, um, are really healthy for us because they contain antioxidants and especially anthocyanins. And these compounds are compounds that have to be taken in macro levels. In other words, they're not micro levels of things. So calcium is a mineral that we need in macro levels. We need, need, you know, fairly large amounts of calcium, whereas selenium is a micronutrient. We need tiny amounts of it. In general, we tincture plants because they contain a poison, an alkaloid or a glycoside or volatile oil or a resin, that we want to be able to take a small amount of. Okay. That makes sense. So maybe I should just do... Jams. Yeah, that's what I would do. Like that's what I'm saying. What's the point of the tincture? In Russia, they would pour vodka over the black currants, but they would then drink four ounces of it at a time. Okay. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I can do that. I'll make jam. What about mead? What about mead? What about a black currant mead? What about a black currant mead? <laughs> Making it, I'm thinking of that too. A friend of I mine. I tell you made, per, just personally, just my personal okay. bias. Um, okay. And this comes from personal bias of a person who ain't much of a drinker. Is okay. it has always seemed almost sinful to me to let le- to yeast loose on honey and turn it into alcohol. 
when almost anything in the world will ferment, including raisins. And honey is so scarce. Yeah, you're right. It's always just seemed to me like, ah, why would you do that to your honey? But I understand the thrill of meat. I'm not against it in any way. I just prefer to pour my honey over herbs instead of give it to the yeast to eat. Right, right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, if I wanted I honey just, with uh, black currants, I would <laughs> boil up my black currants and make a black currant syrup. Or you could make a black currant tincture and then add honey to that and have an elixir, which, again, needs to be taken in large amounts. Oh, that's another good one. Yeah. Yeah. I think the honey sounds good. Mm-hmm. That also sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Those, uh, yeah, it saves me money buying the vodka. Right. And you um, can also just take your black currants and put them in Ziploc bags and chuck them in the freezer. Yeah, I could do that. Yes. Okay. I have one other thing. Right. Do you remember that that spell that you gave me like a year ago about the preacher? <laughs> do you remember that? He said shower the you know, he was he bought a piece of property next to me and I don't know he was a preacher and I was all like paranoid and he said, you know, meditate that you're giving him gifts and do you remember that? I do, yes. Well guess who was showered? With gifts, <laughs> the the preacher sent me a package yesterday with all these treats from Hawaii for, because I was such a good neighbor. Didn't do anything, just smiled and waved when I drove by him. But he sent me this box with all these Hawaiian treats. I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing. It's a really good spell, I must admit. It's one of my best. It is a good spell. Thank you, Susan. You're welcome. Thank you for the advice. And have many green lights. Thank you for applying it so well. Yes, I did, didn't I? Yes, you did. Bye-bye. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 352 area code. Hi, Susan. This is Carol. Hi, Carol. Um, hi, Susan. Uh, how about telling me about this spell? Sure. This is a spell for somebody who is really driving you nuts and really aggravating you. For instance, one of my past apprentices called me up. She was working as a gardener for a woman, and she had planted the broccoli plants. And they were supposed to be 18 inches apart, and some of them were 16, and some of them were 20. And the woman had pulled up the row of broccoli plants and told her that she had to plant them exactly 18 inches apart. And she was just really, like, annoyed. And I t- shared this spell with her, as I have had shared it with many other people. And that is that you take the person who is annoying you, and you put them on a throne, and you make it a very lavish throne. You want it to be ornate and covered in jewels and very comfortable, nice velvet and silk cushions and 
just really the best of all possible friends. And then you start to bring to them um, all of the best that the world has to offer. You might want to bring beautiful flowers. You might want to bring beautiful dancers. You might want to bring music and musicians. You might want to bring fruits and vegetables and, you know, lovely birds, whatever you can think of that will surround this person with all the best of the universe. And I usually say to people, you're not going to like this spell. You're not going to want to do it, but that's okay. Just go ahead and do it. And she, of course, said to me, you've got to be kidding. This blah, 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 bad word, bad word. I said, yeah. So, you know, every time you think of her, instead of thinking, what a blah, blah, bad word, bad word she is, just think of her on this throne and be giving her great things. And my pastor Prentice called me up, you know, within the week and said, I can't believe it. She just offered to make me a full partner in the business. <laughs> ah, makes you breathe easy. You know, people really do get what we put out to them. But more to the point, whatever we put out, we're also putting in. It is a frequency, and that's a great answer. Ah, thank you. You are welcome. And if we're filled with revenge and, you know, that kind of stuff going on in our brains, we're going to be getting it too. And so the very first person that benefits from this kind of spell is ourselves because we're bringing all of that beauty and all of that wonder to ourselves as well as to the other. That's, that's what makes it pure and white. Yeah. You know what? So my youngest daughter, we just got her to voluntarily get into a, a treatment center, an all-women's treatment center in Knoxville. After a long week of trying to commit suicide last week, <clears throat> ah, you know, just hanging with the wrong people, it's just been tough for her. And So now she's 10 days isolated there's horses, they have yoga, it's all women, no no male doctors, just, you know, this is raised without a father, all these sisters. I'm just going to, I'm going to create all of that energy for everybody at that space. It was, cast this great spell over there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I don't know if it will, will work with a building. So you might want to, you know, pick um, your daughter. No, I mean in my a space here, in my spot, and I'll just Yeah, create but what I'm saying is that it's a spell that's designed to be done with a person. Not a building or an institution or a group of people, but a person. Well, then I'll just scratch that board and create an, another idea. Okay. And I think your daughter would benefit a lot from that. I know. Because right. it's one of the it's things right. that can be hardest for us as support is to change our mind about the person who's um, been under that kind of influence and to begin to trust them again. Yeah. Because when they are hanging with the wrong people, and taking the wrong substances, then they are not to be trusted. No, and that's something we can't trust. 
Well, that's right. And she just kind of, quote, Baker acted her quickly. And then my daughter, who's the singer here in Nashville, there's this nonprofit thing called Music Cares. And because she's done some benefits for them or whatever, they they paid for the second two months of this treatment. Oh, how wonderful. Really, I know. I'm so thankful. It was really nice talking to you, Susan. Have a great evening. Green blessings. Thanks for calling. Green blessings, and I'll be listening to this. Have a nice evening. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 818 area code. Oh, my God. I got in. You did. Hey, what's up? Oh, Susan, hi. <laughs> hi. Hi. I wanted to tell you a couple things. Uh, number one, so I have like a way overstock of oranges on my property, and, and nobody knows they can eat them. They have to go to the grocery store. They don't know they can pick them. And so I was experimenting with laundry detergent, and I wanted to tell you some horror stories and then a possible success. <laughs> All right. Okay, so I've been putting the oranges in the laundry. Lovely. Everything smells wonderful and citrusy, and then it goes from the washing machine to the dryer, then you can actually, it dries up the orange peels, and you can actually put it in your compost, and you don't get flies. So there's there's a success. Here's the failure. It's a mess. It, it just, you pull out your laundry, and it's just everywhere. So I got these fine mesh laundry bags, and that's that's working. <laughs> so let's I'm see. You throw your laundry in the washing machine. With a mesh bag full of oranges, and the oranges. Yes, it has to be fine. Fine. It's a place of soap. You don't have to add any soap. Correct. And the orange oil, the the citrus oil, um, makes the clothes smell really good. And then you throw the bag of wet oranges in the dryer with your clothes. The whole bag from the whole bag bag I washed. Right, the whole bag. And are are your clothes in the bag or just the just the oranges? Just the just the orange peels or whatever. If we didn't finish the whole orange, it's not the whole it's orange. It's just the orange peels. Yes, we put them in the oh, freezer. Oh, oh, because we have so many oranges, oranges in there. Uh, no, no, no. They're cut, and we eat the oranges. Or we make juice or whatever. Or I squeeze and it's the, the orange peels that you're using. Well, that makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. because I thought, boy, all that orange pulp is really going to make a mess. It, it did. It did. No, I told you I was experimenting. So now I realize we have to, like, do we, – so we juice them and give them juice to people and things like that. We're trying to not waste the, this resources. And so here's the thing is, yes, the orange peels, you can throw them in the freezer if you have too many, and then throw them in the laundry bag. In the It has to be a fine mesh. I used a not fine mesh, one of the ones where you wash your bras or whatever, and it's got, like, it's large mesh. Not a good idea. Big mess everywhere. So uh, I've been dealing with these messes. It's okay because it's experimenting. And now I found a fine mesh bag, and then once you throw it in the dryer, all those peels make everything smell so lovely. They take all the sweat smell out because I do construction, so I don't smell good. And then, and I eat a lot of onions and garlic, and it takes all that out. And then they're so dried up, you can actually put them in your compost, and the flies don't get in. And they compost up? I let I will give you a call in two months, but they're not getting flies. The fruit, you know how you get if you put uh, fruit in, even if you wrap it in paper, it just turns into a giant fly uh, 
fruit fly condominium. Well, no, I'm not getting a fruit fly condominium. I don't know if they've composted yet. I think I still have another two weeks to see. I, but they're doing fine. There's no... Or, uh, orange peels are notoriously resistant to composting. Okay, well, then I'm still doing the experiment. So we're still doing the experiment, and we'll see. And in general, we'll because of the um, qualities of citrus um, oils, um, the mm-hmm. citrus fruits don't get fruit flies. Okay, they're getting some kind of flies if we put the whole, the, the orange with... Can we leave them in the sink? Yeah, like if you leave them in the sink for a while, you get... Well, yes, of course. Fly. The, the um, Okay, so maybe I'll figure out what else to do with these orange peels once they've been dried in the dryer because they're hard as rocks. But right. it's working for the laundry. They make, it's working. They make nice sachets, in, you know, in little bags in with your clothes. They probably still smell, yes? Yes, yes. Yes. So little flow. sachets, a little bit of orange peel, a little bit of lavender and a sage leaf. Ooh, how nice. Oh, wonderful. Okay, we're still experimenting, and we will keep in touch with that. So um, that's all I could tell you about that because I'm working on it. It's been a big mess, but I don't want to waste any any resources so here's the other thing we had this is totally separate subject we had a gardener today they don't speak english i'm in california and they sprayed all kinds of pesticides and herbicides all over everything and we had a puppy get sick i i can't get out of them what chemical they spray but i know it's not citrus and it's an oily substance and of course i've been growing tomatoes and everything everywhere secretly all over the condominium and everybody loves it but they've just one guy just decided oh we got to get rid of all these weeds well they're not weeds they're food and then we have dogs everybody walks a dog how can we can i get make some kind of citrus spray to get how can i get rid of these pesticides that they just sprayed because i've already talked to them and they're not going to do it again and i looked at the half-life of glyphosates which I think they sprayed Roundup. I'm just guessing, and the half life is 41 days, so that's not too bad. We can we can last that out. But so the places where they sprayed are all the plants dead and dying. That this was today. Well, I'm gonna find out probably in a couple of days. So that was my question: is if they live, that's okay? Well, if they live, then they weren't sprayed with Roundup. Okay, so we don't know what sprayed. And if they live, then that's someone okay. Must, someone must know. Gee, well, somebody's hiding something. There's somebody. I, I'm, I'll have to find out what chemical. But, but you cannot find out what they sprayed. From them, I understand. But who hired them? Oh, our management company. Our HOA. Uh huh. And what, can the he, HOA? Find out what was sprayed? It's a big battle between my attitude is if we're going to water things that look lovely, how about they should be edible? And and so it's like a battle between let's make edible gardens instead of like pretty things that nobody can eat and it's poison. And so I think they're spraying it just to get rid of our herbs, our herbs, herbs and tomatoes and squashes and everything. Cucumbers and just guard little 
weird side gardens that nobody would notice unless you know what you're looking for. Unless you go, oh, wow, there's a giant two-foot cucumber hanging off the fence. Um, So we have people that are really upset about the fact that we're growing food. So I don't know that whole backstory of why it got sprayed, but my, my question is, if, 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 can I make a the, the short spray? Answer, the short answer is no. The short answer is there isn't anything you can do that will change what's going on. And okay. you're right. If it was a water-soluble chemical, it will be washed off at the next good rain. And okay. if it's an oil-soluble chemical... Oh. It will linger for a while, but even things like Roundup do not linger in the soil forever. Oh, okay. The other thing about Roundup is that it tends to stay where it is put. Unlike other herbicides, which tend to seep out into the soil. So herbicides go into the soil, but pesticides stay put? No. Herbicides may either stay put. Roundup is an herbicide. Okay. Oh. It kills plants, not insects. Okay. Okay, so if it kills our plants, do you think it's safe for dogs to sniff around? short answer to your question is the world is not a safe place. <laughs> this is why I call you. <laughs> okay, I was just wondering if there was some plant, like maybe some citrus spray we could spray to wash the oils off, like we could make our own out of the oranges, orange peels. I think that the dogs would be more likely to be harmed by a citrus spray than by Roundup. Oh, okay, that's that's really important. Okay. I'm going to so, keep researching this. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, you know, when you go into or used to be able to go into um, a bathroom at a small service station, they would often have a bad odor that they were masking with citrus, right? Mm-hmm. They sell still sell um, sticks with citrus oil in them to get rid of bacteria and to mask the odor of public restrooms. So yes. it's pretty it's pretty strong stuff. That's why I say that orange peels have a reputation of being uncompostable. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so they actually do pose a danger, um, albeit a very small one, to dogs. Okay, so there's no way to get these whatever they've sprayed until I find out what it is, do my research. There's no way to get this off. We just have to wait for the half-life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah whatever it was. And hopefully you can find out. Um, but I understand it can be a bureaucratic nightmare. Oh, it's 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 a it's a battle right now between the people that want to make 
gardens and eat everything edible and people that want to just be like Nazis and everything must follow rules and we don't have, you can't grow tomatoes. It's like, you're kidding me. If we're going to pay for water, why shouldn't we be able to eat it? What we grew. Like I, I, we don't have goats and cows. Why do we have all this grass and beautiful, lovely, lovely plants? I agree. They're lovely, but we can't eat them. I don't, it doesn't make any sense. I, but now we have it a huge movement. It doesn't make any sense. You're so right. It doesn't. It does. We have a huge movement. Everybody wants everything growing. I said I will pay for a greenhouse, but we're getting new management in. We're voting all the old people out that don't understand any of this. Like you just throw your tomato seeds over, and bam, there's tomatoes. Like maybe next year, maybe this year, it doesn't matter. And, and we eat off our balcony. Why all not? Right. Why? Right, Yay. right. Like every we okay. We don't have goats and cows, so why do we have grass? I could see an a area for the dogs to do the pooping and stuff, but the rest should be like I asked you years ago: chamomile lawn or anything we can eat. And we have olive trees, and they they don't they cut them before the olives grow. It's like you're kidding me. We could live off of all this, and then we have all these oranges. And the, luckily, they won't cut the oranges down, but we've ah, been picking them, great. picking them, and giving them. Yeah, have you ever made olives and olives from the tree? Oh, a long time ago, but they keep cutting it before they they bloom. So, it's a um, pretty arduous process. Oh, it's and they're not big olives. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a big it's deal. Not but easy if you're starving, that. yeah, if you're starving, we could live off that tree. Right. If you were if you were starving, at least you don't have to do much of anything to make get the oil out of it, but. But yeah, I I hear you, yes. and you know more okay. and more across America, people are saying exactly what you're saying, which is if we're going to be using water, which is a precious resource, to water plants, let us at least make it plants that we can eat because edible plants are also pretty, and um, the battle between those who want to. Um, Kick back the landscaping company. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, distance themselves yeah, them from bodily back. concerns and not have to think about food. Well, their argument is, well, if we grow food, somebody's going to take it. Well, if they took it, they needed it. We'll just keep growing in our area where it's we have plenty of areas that nobody can get to. If somebody takes all the tomatoes, well, they probably needed them. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, because we have a front yard, a side yard, a backyard. We, we can do all kinds of, let's just use tomatoes for example. If somebody takes all the tomatoes that we were going to pay for the water anyway, then they must have needed them for their family. That's fine. But we just have plenty in the back, plenty on the side, and I've been throwing <laughs> seeds. We've been we've been walking around the neighborhood just flinging seeds. Just oh, you bad seed flinger, you. <laughs> I know, I know. And as soon as we learned, we could just fling seeds, and then two years later, oh look, there's <laughs> and nobody knows. Oh, oh look, growing there's a tomato. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's all oh, there's a passion vine. Yes, and so we're trying to we're and we're educating all the dog walkers on um, look, look, we're growing this here, and why would you have all this beautiful lush things that just look pretty when this could be all food, and everybody could just walk around and grab a tomato. Or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> We're I starting a movement. I, oh, awesome. I'm so glad. Okay. 
All right. You just gave me so much information. There's probably more calls. And thank you, Susan. I will keep you posted on the orange laundry detergent and the toxic dog spray. <laughs> All right. I love it. <laughs> green blessings. Thanks for calling. Uh, okay. Green blessings, Susan. All right. The next caller is coming from the 787 area code. Hi. Is that me? Hi. Hi. Um, I, uh, the palms of my hands have been itchy for probably nearly like four years now. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) It's awful. Oh, my gosh. It's more... It is, and it, it, I, I feel that it's... Should, my grandmother would say you should be very rich by now. I have read that, and it's not the case. But <laughs> around um, around the time that my palm started itching, it was my right palm, and then the last few months it's been my left palm as well. Um I had a, like a flare-up with my gallbladder and eventually had it removed, so I don't know if that had something to do with that. Um, and This was four months ago that you had your gallbladder removed? Uh, no, I had my gallbladder removed probably about three, almost three years ago, two to okay. three years ago. Got it. Um, I mean, and since then, like, I, I feel like, you know, I, I believe I eat fairly good. Um, you know, not perfect all the time, but I I, feel like I don't think there's any such thing as a perfect up. diet. So I'm not yes, sure that we should, you know, ever hold ourselves to any perfect standard. Uh, what I like to see mm-hmm. is a person eating a broad diet. Yes, you have helped me with that because I went through a long phase. I I was not into meat a lot. It just wasn't appetizing to me and. Berry, I felt, in, uh, brought me inflammation, um, so I kind of steered off. But now I, I'm just focusing on moderation. Like, I eat meat. I favor chicken broth because um, I've heard you talk about the importance of meat for your brain development as you age. Um, so, yeah, I just try to to keep, like, a moderation and balance and eating lots of vegetables veggies, you know, colorful uh, diet, grains. Right, and um, those vegetables are well-cooked. I think so. Sometimes I cook longer than other times. <laughs> but um, I would say that the average amount of time that a vegetable needs to be cooked is an hour. Okay. So I cook All my right. carrots for an hour. I cook my beets for an hour. I cook my kale for an hour. I cook my spinach. Yeah, that would make sense. Even the spinach. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do eat a lot of onions and garlic. I mean, and almost everything that I cook. Wonderful. Um, Wonderful. But, so I'm, I'm. And of course, just your soups are always well cooked, so that works out easily. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you're drinking your nourishing herbal infusions. I have um, uh, most days for almost two years now. And Good I, for you. Uh, now, let me ask well, you what you've, what you've tried topically in terms of your itchy palms. Have you 
tried putting plantain on them, either the fresh leaves or a plantain ointment? Um, I have started making lotions, um, and I've infused oils with uh, plantain and um, chamomile. uh, uh, Oh, goodness. I have it written down in a journal, but I can't remember all the herbs. But putting some together, um, you know, for skin irritations um, and... You know, I, I, I think it helps if I don't let my hands dry out, you know, to keep uh, them moist. And so you live in a place where plantain grows wild? No, I don't get anything wild. I I order all my herbs dried from um, either Mountain Rose Herbs or from Tier. Uh-huh. So where do you live that you don't have access to plantain? Um, I'm in southern uh, South Florida right now. I move around. And for the last three years, I've been in South Florida. Yeah. All right. So I personally do not find oils made from dried plants very effective. Okay. Um, I know there are people who make them. I just don't find them worth my while. So I would probably buy some plantain oil salve either from Catskill Mountain Herbals or from Red Moon Herbs. They both make it with fresh plantain, which is what's really needed. And fresh plantain salve or oil is one of the strongest uh, remedies against itching that I have ever used. Okay. So I believe that you and plantain are going to be friends and hopefully your next move will take you a little closer to where plantain grows so that you will have access to it yourself. Mm. I hope so, too. For sure. Okay. Because you're absolutely okay. right. It's, it, it, is, it does grow in southern Florida, but it's not prolific. It will be hard to find. I've even found plantain growing in Costa Rica. Okay. I started, you know, growing a, a small portion of herbs of my own. Like, I, I have three baby comfrey plants coming up, and I'm really excited about that. Um, but I don't have plantain. Coming up from roots that you planted? From seeds. Uh-huh. Well, the comfrey that grows from seeds cannot be used medicinally. Oh. Oh. So there would be no purpose of using it at all? I am very upset that people are selling comfrey seeds. Okay. Um, Because comfrey is a very difficult plant to deal with. Mm -hmm. The tiniest bit of root would give rise to a whole new plant. And if you have a plant literally that you cannot eradicate and it's spreading seeds all over the place, you'll soon have to move out and you won't be able to grow any other plants of any kind. Okay. One of my past apprentices was a volunteer at a large garden over an acre. And the head gardener said, I don't like this comfrey here to get out and throw it in the compost. And she said, no, 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 you do not want me to do that because... First of all, digging it out will do nothing except spread it, and you'll have more comfrey here after I dig it out than you have right now. And if I throw it in the compost, 
the compost will never get hot enough to kill all the comfrey root, and you'll spread it all over the garden. And he said, I'm the head gardener. Do what I tell you to do. So she did. And she went back to visit two years later, and they had to completely abandon the garden. It was fence-to-fence comfrey. Okay. And that's the comfrey that doesn't grow by seeds. That's the one that grows only by roots. So four times the terror if you have one that makes seeds. Because you, at least the one that that doesn't make seeds, you only spread if you dig up the root. And if you don't dig up the root, it doesn't spread. If you have one that makes seeds, it's going to spread whatever you do. Unless you keep it from seeding. The only comfrey that's safe to use is comfrey that's grown from somebody else's root. Okay. Symphytum officinalis contains dangerous alkaloids that shouldn't be used internally. You could use it externally, but again, I personally would be loath to have comfrey that made seeds anywhere near my garden. Okay. Noted. See, comfrey that is sold, even though it's labeled Symphytum officinalis is not officinalis. It's Aplandica, and it's an Aplandica hybrid, actually a series of hybrids, made by Henry Doubleday Jr. to get rid of the dangerous alkaloids in Capri. And those plants can't make seed. Those hybrids are naturally seedless. Okay. All right. So I'll get rid so of my comfrey. Probably oil. what I would do would be to dig them up and turn them into some kind of comfrey oil. Okay. That's good. You can, you can use it externally. Okay. Roots, roots and leaves and all. Okay. From the comfrey root that I make infusions of, I always turn into poultices. You do not make comfrey infusion from the root, ever. No, 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 not from the root. I get uh, leaves. About from the leaves. leaves. Yes. Good. Okay. All right. Um, so as far as the hands go, you said plantain oil from the fresh um, fresh leaves. Yeah, and you've make, um, been making poultices for your hands from the country. Is that what you're I saying? I have not been putting them on my hands. But oh, I thought you just I'm said that sure you made that would hurt. from the country. I make poultices, and I just I keep them in my freezer for when, you know, we get a bruise or somebody uh-huh, uh-huh. brings something. Um, uh, Comfrey can strengthen the skin. And often with this an itch, it may be that the skin needs some strengthening. So maybe if you feel that the comfrey leaf would be too harsh, maybe the next time you make some comfrey leaf infusion, just put a little aside and soak your palms in it. Okay. So you haven't heard anything about the palms associated with the liver? I'm Not specifically. No? Okay. It's been something on my, uh, that's been on my mind. But, curious. But one never goes amok by nourishing the liver. What have you been doing for your liver? I just started taking um, 
a uh, milk thistle seed um, uh, tincture. Um, All right, I there heard you that, go. That, I, okay, Sounds good. Yeah, I heard that that was good for that. And finally, it only took me a while, but I got the uh, host defense mushroom in my community. Um, so I just started that too, so, you know working on it. Um, I know you don't get, uh, you don't like talking about other people. I was just curious. Um, I've been making mullein infusion for my husband. His, uh, I hear his lungs. He uses an inhaler um, more than I'm comfortable with. And so I've, I've started making him mullein infusions and I was curious how often um, can he drink them? Um, Nourishing herbal infusions are foods. So it's rather like asking how often can someone eat corn. I drink approximately a quart of nourishing herbal infusion every day and have for over 30 years. In addition to that quart of nourishing herbal infusion, should I feel that I need it or want it, I might also have a cup or two of mullein or a cup or two of hibiscus or a cup or two of astragalus or dandelion or any of the infusions that are not nourishing infusions, which are infusions Mm -hmm. that are high in protein, nettle and oat straw and comfrey leaf and red clover. You're and, just feeling it. And, and, yeah. And so okay. most people who are consuming mullein um, drink their quart of nourishing herbal infusion and then have a cup or two of mullein milk in addition on a daily basis. And for many people, after six to eight weeks, the health of their lungs is so improved that they neither want nor desire to drink mullein. Okay. Okay, and I've heard you talk about that mixing, uh, mixing some of the mullein infusion with um, some good quality cow's milk. It doesn't have to be cow's milk. I, of course, mix it with goat's milk. Okay, it but animal any, milk, not any like milk that you want. Well, animal milk isn't that kind of redundant? Do soybeans have bread? <laughs> Oh, it's a mammal. I mean, if if I was if I was still nursing it, you know, I I was never opposed to drinking mine. But um, yes, <laughs> and especially now that the I pumps just, are so easy, I was surprised yeah. at how sweet breast milk, human breast milk is. Yeah, I think it tastes good. Yeah, really, it's really great uh, survival. But animal milk has just been, uh, it just doesn't seem so satisfying. And then it kind of messes with my stomach. And um, so I don't drink a whole lot of milk, mm-hmm. just in the coffee. But mm-hmm. I think that, it, that you will find that with the mullein, it's a really an incredible match. Okay. Because the mullein is very stringent. And the okay. milk really eases that out. Mullen has a slight right. quality, 
And milk, of course, is also a sedative and a calmative. And many times um, bronchial tightness and wheezing is relieved when a mild sedative is used. So, again, the milk and the mullein together um, are much better than either one alone. Okay. And that's a, a cup or two of it a day, even on, on top of having um, an infusion? Even on top of your quarter infusion. Okay. All right. Thank you so much right. for calling. So Green blessing. All right. Green, green blessing. I would like to introduce Pamela Fisher. She's the founder and president of the Berkeley Herbal Center in Berkeley, California. The Berkeley Herbal Center is a nonprofit organization which serves the community through a herbal medicine school, a community clinic, and a dispensary. It is one of the few schools in the country that operates a year-round community clinic on site. For 30 years now, Pamela Fisher has been studying plants and herbal medicine. She received a degree in eco-psychology and then became attracted to the herbal healing path and immersed herself in the insights and wisdom of Western medicine, Western science, Western herbalists, native healers, wise women, and witches, Western herbal therapy, traditional Chinese pulse diagnosis, Ayurveda, and Tibetan medicine. In addition, Pamela has gone right to the source. She has spent countless hours and days camping and hiking. She knows the plants from the ground up. Pamela Fisher is a visionary leader and a grassroots organizer. She has inspired generations of herbalists to be a stand for change in our healthcare system. Many of her graduates have and currently are creating similar establishments to provide services in their local community. Pam endeavors to free her community from a broken system and move everyone toward an era of health care based on prevention, compassion, and care. Welcome to the show, Pamela Fisher. Thank you for the lovely introduction. You did very well at that. <laughs> what, a, <laughs> what a marvelous, interesting, and healing life you have lived. Uh, what made you decide to um, really focus your efforts so much on herbalism? Well, I come from a, a background of uh, psychology, and I was working in um, the child protective services, working with uh, very um, horrible cases. And at some point, I just wanted to work with people who want to heal. And, and I want to bring my information to, to, that, to that field. And, well, there's, it's bigger than that. You know, I went to college wanting to be a forced, a forced ranger because, to me, forest rangers talked about trees. And all I wanted to do was talk about trees. And it was the only career path, like, actually that I could see myself doing only I got into forestry and realized it was all about cutting trees down 
And I kind of got scared because <laughs> I couldn't do that. So I went into a different kind of outdoor recreation and then landed into eco-psychology, which is um, what it's called now. It was um, at that time of my life, it was called wilderness psychology. And I was being um, trained to do wilderness trips as a mode of therapeutic healing. Um, so I was always called to the woods and, you know, through going through stops and starts, you know, we find something, we go for a while and then it doesn't feel right and we go a different direction. And um, so I had finished all of my psychology work and been working with um, in the healthcare system and the psychological healthcare system, which is um pretty unfunctional as well. And then I stumbled into Rosemary Gladstar's, um, I went on a walk with Rosemary Gladstar and she woke me up to the possibility of something that had never occurred to me before. It isn't like us herbalists are sitting on every corner and that you go into your career counselor and they tell you, oh, this is an option. Um, so it took a, a nice three-hour walk with Rosemary in the woods, and the vision of my life came to me. So um, through that really beautiful grandmother fairy energy that Rosemary has, um, and that started me off into um, walking the herbal path, which when it bites you, it doesn't let go. You're so right. When it bites you, it does not let go. No. <laughs> you are bound for the rest of your life, general lives, if we want to believe that, many lives. You know? Many lives. I often say it takes, takes at least seven lives to become a herbalist. Oh, yeah. And it, you know, my, my great-great-grandmother was an herbalist on the prairie. Um, probably studied with uh, Thompsonian medicine at that time. And uh, some of her words still echo through me. Like uh, she couldn't live any place where there weren't trees. And I have said that myself, not realizing those were her words. So these traditions are, they're, they're deep in us, you know, with my, you know, with my students when I'm teaching them, I'm like, sometimes, you know, we just know things. And we study the best we can, but sometimes things come through our ancestral line. That's a wisdom of a generation or two before us, you know. So the study of herbalism ends up being this kind of old ancient study that we rekindle knowledge within our very soul that brings it up and out. And the teacher just fans it, you know. We fan it and redirect it, but uh, it's there already. We're just uncovering it, you know. Absolutely. Uh, herbal medicine is people's medicine. It is in our bones. So I'm trying to remember um, how many trees there are in Berkeley, California. And there's a fair, oh. num there's a fair number of parks in Berkeley. There is. Our, our school is actually in a city park. <laughs> the only commercial building in a city park, and we're in that building. 
Yes, and there are trees all around us, and there's a creek that runs right by our school. It's like this really beautiful portal to a different dimension. You know, there are, there are places that we can find in the world that are, transforms us to a different place, a place of healing. Those portals exist everywhere if we know how to find them. <laughs> So well, often that we don't know. Being an alum of UCLA, we always used to think of Berkeley as going to the country. Yeah, well, it's pretty urban these days. But uh, <laughs> we, the, uh, the great thing around Berkeley is that they saved all the mountaintops. So no one built on the mountaintops. That's all public land. Oh, it's all for wonderful. hiking. And it's really... You know, the people who came before us all uh, tried to preserve what they could. Mm-hmm. So the East Bay Parks are all through our hills in the Bay Area. And so the, you yes. know, people live in the middle of the hills and down below, but they don't live on the top. That's all parkland for all people. Mm. And it's really quite lovely. So it's a great place to have a, if you're going to be in an urban center, to have a school. Because there are lots of trees. <laughs> right. Lots of Which trees. came first, the school, the clinic, or the dispensary? Oh, well, they all kind of grew up together. Because you can't have one without the other. So, it, you know, my first class was a group of students of um, 12 students who were clients of mine who wanted to get educated. So I created a class for them and that's how this whole thing got started and then you know I, I gave them a, a just a nice little intro which was like a month long class and at the end of it they said oh we want more and so then I did a three month course and then they ended by oh we, we want more and I said okay this time I'm really going to do it I'm going to make you so sick of me and so I created this 10-month program, and they all went through that. And at the end of it, I had one of the years that I teach, but it was created by this group of women who wanted demand, wanted more knowledge to take to their families, to take to their community. And then from there, they also, after the end of that, the same group said, okay, that was great, but we want more on therapeutics. So I started my 10-month therapeutic program. And at the end of that, they said, okay, we're ready to work on people. <laughs> so I developed a, a, a year-long clinic program to meet the needs of those first people that I was working with. And it became the, the template in which I did further every year after that with refining it and changing it and adding more to it. Um, so after those first three years, we had a clinic. We've been making our medicines all during the... But so much of learning Western herbalism is being involved from the ground all the way to the giving of the medicine. So really when we're doing it well, we're like growing or collecting making the medicine in prayer and with good energy at the right time. 
and then we're distributing that medicine to people. That's holism. That's when it's all connected in. Um, so the dispensary grew up with our, our students and our clients so that it's all integrated. Are you still there, Pamela? Yeah, I am. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was long-winded. I could go further. I That's had a okay. That's okay. I'm all, so I'm all alive. This, this, the, the need first was for knowledge, and you fulfilled yeah. that need, and they said more. Because what did you say just before that? Once you're bitten by this bug, you can't get enough. Yeah, and you know what? And so that, know, they kept saying to you is more, more, more. And then they got so good at it. He said, hey, we want some people. Get us some sick people here. Yeah, now we need more sick we, people. And, you know, as I like, say oh in the, God, okay. the opening I lines to... of, uh, you know, Healing Wise, that we made up sickness and disease um, so that we could play at being healers. Right, right. Right. Um, so then, that became yeah. your community clinic. And then as part of the training of being an herbalist because, well, I would not say Western herbalism, but I would certainly say American herbalism, um, and that's both North and South America, um, are very much involved, as you say, from the ground up. I don't find that true in Germany or France or Spain or even England so much, which I would count as part of the Western tradition. Yes, that's true. It's American herbalism. Yeah. It's this. And also South American, they, they all do that, you know. Yes. It's yes. all part of All of the Americas, um, to be an herbalist. And, and actually, you are the, you are the person who has the relationship with the plant, and you so you make the remedy. One of my early teachers said to me, well, you go out and you talk to the plant a year before you need it, so it has time to accumulate the constituents that are needed for the medicine. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'll, well, I'll tell you truthfully, I don't have time to do that, but that's okay. I understand. In general, I do try to talk to the plants around me so that they do have some warning about what's going on. But yeah. um, did you um, have a difficulty about how you were going to um, ha- have the clinic in terms of payment? Is the clinic self-supporting? Do people have to pay? Is it a free clinic? And if you yeah, don't want to answer these questions, the okay, challenge. you don't have This is always the challenge. So, um, you know, because we have people on all different spectrums coming into clinic. So what we have done is we make a, a suggested donation. And it's expected that you pay a certain amount, but if you can't, then we can negotiate the price. What we don't do is we don't give herbs away for free. The service may be um, free, but the herbs themselves you need to pay for. Those are just hard costs. And there's some level of respect that's given when we, um, when we have that, uh, that payment for plants, right? Um, it's like there has to be an energy exchange. And in our clinic, you know, we, we can do exchange of somebody coming in and sweeping our floor for us. That's fine. But there needs to be some form of energy exchange for this to 
do well. And the reality is that nobody supports Western Herbal Clinics, so we have to make it work. So we have to figure out ways of bringing in resources to make it work. Um, I used to offer it as a free clinic, and I just about lost my shirt on that, right? People aren't reflecting on what it costs us to do this service, right? And the students can pay some of it, but mostly it has to be held by the community. So I've looked at this as a community experiment that actually those who have more will pay for those who didn't. And so far it's worked out pretty well. We have a suggested price. People are free to like pay that or pay more than that. Um, if they pay more than that, what I actually recommend that they do is not, we don't do sliding scale. And the reason I don't do a sliding scale is because they cannot deduct their service fee. So from their taxes, because they're getting a service. So I prefer that they do a separate donation to the school to be used for um, our clinic. And then we can give them a tax write-off. Um, because you're a nonprofit. So yes. Yeah, we're a nonprofit. And, and we are truly a nonprofit. I've got a board. I've got, I've got to deal with IRS issues. I'm, I'm not doing it through another organization that's um, umbrelling us. We're just we're fully a nonprofit. But it's also what I believe to be the right way to conduct our business here as healers, right? So if we were in indigenous um, traditions, the healer was taken care of, and they didn't really charge, but people gave them things. But we're so broken in this culture. It's so broken that we have to tell people how much that this is worth, you know? I don't agree that this is broken. You know, it used to be, Pamela, that, and even 150 years ago, that people lived, were born, and died in the same place. Right now, I'm living in a house called Pearl's House. And Pearl was born in the house across the street from here. Pearl's mother was born in the house across the street from here. And Pearl's grandmother was born in the house across the street from here. When Pearl was married, her husband built a house for them. And it's the house next door to the house I'm living in now. Pearl's house mm-hmm. is the house that, she, that he built for her after the kids grew up. And he died before her, and she continued to live on here, and it became known as Pearl's house. Pearl... New York City's 100 miles away. Pearl never went to New York City. So Pearl lived in a community. And yeah. I have worked quite hard in the time I've been living here, in the 40 years I've been living here, to have people know each other in this area, along with my friend Farmer John, who lives on the other end of my road. And between the two of us, we've gotten people to really be a community. But still in all, they aren't actually a community because they move around and that mm-hmm. moving around means that there isn't a set way to do things and we do mm-hmm. have to be told and it's not because we're yeah. broken it's because we have a lot of options and because 
America, the United States and North America, is a melting pot. We have people from many different cultures. I'm told that on a single day in Brooklyn, you may hear as many as 30 different languages spoken. Mm-hmm. So this is not broken, but it's not an aboriginal existence. It's not a native existence where you are born, live, and die in the same spot. And so you don't take care of the healer. You give the healer some of whatever you have because you want the healer to stay alive for when you're sick. Right. There's really enlightened self-interest here. You cut some firewood, you give this healer some firewood. You don't want her freeze to death. And you want her right. time freed up to go and harvest the herbs. Right. Right. But, but it's impossible now for people to even understand what kind of time and energy commitment it takes to harvest the herb, to show up at the right time for that plant, to harvest it in the right conditions, to prepare it in the right way and then to have it available in the pharmacy. It's very difficult to explain that to someone who's never done it and why it should right. be worth or the, uh, or the amount of work it is to do all your studies, to understand all the disease patterns you're seeing um, and uh, the root cause of the disease, too, is being able to look and see more than just what's on the surface. It's like deep study. Um, that's, that's what I tell my students. I say, you're not charging for the time that you're spending with that person. You're charging for the time you're spending with me. Mm-hmm. Those people are not yeah. paying for what you're giving them right then. They're paying for what it cost you to learn what yeah. you needed to learn to be with them. Right. And you're, you are so, so yeah, right. Always this. As you well know, over the past 30 years, you have done nothing but increase your knowledge base, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes, this is, this is true. And it's I not like you got your tenants and well, now I know all there is to know about herbal medicine. So I'll just like shut my books and go teach all the truth to people. No, as a teacher, you are constantly challenged and have to learn new things and are <laughs> faced with new uh, ways of being and new things that we have to help with. I so admire the work that you're doing, Pamela. This is Susan Reed talking with Pamela Fisher, founder and president of the Berkeley Herbal Center in Berkeley, California. And what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to find out more? I think you offer some online courses. Is that true? We're yeah, we have some a few online courses. We have a longer course coming up, and um, one that I'm developing right now in um, that will be available in October, November of this year. I'll go for about uh, ten months. Um, it's the best way to get a hold of me is um, Pam at BerkeleyHerbalCenter.org. That's my email, Pam at BerkeleyHerbalCenter.org, all one word, all lowercase. Um, and if you have a hard time remembering that, you just go to Berkeley Herbal Center, our, our um, 
website and all the contact information is there. Wonderful. Oh, that is fantastic. So, you know, the first herbal medicine class that I taught, there were four people in it. And I really remember thinking, I will teach these four people about herbal medicine, and that will be the end of it. (laughs) But that's not what we've seen over the past 30 years, is it, Ben? No, I mean, we start and then you don't stop. You know, the calling becomes more intense, you know? And as one man said, I can't understand why people would be interested in studying herbalism since they can't get a license. It seems to be pretty useless to me. And yet what I found and what you have found is that the vast majority of people who are interested in herbal medicine, and many of them are women, um, are not interested in making a professional career of it. They're interested in, first of all, being healthy themselves, and then making sure that the people that they love and are close to are healthy as well. Well, you know, absolutely, it makes great sense because women hold the umbilical cord for all creation. They're the healers. They're the ones who take care of the family line. So they feed the children. They care for the elders who are leaving and, you know, and this is, that medicine for life. Plants are medicine for life. Mm. Oh, that is such a beautiful thought. Pamela Fisher, I could talk to you for a long time. I have so (laughs) many more questions, and you are such a delightful guest. I really appreciate your being here and sharing even just a little bit of what you do with us because I know that it goes deeper and that there's far more that you could talk about. But we're on a blog talk show, and you know they, like, slam the iron door on you right at the time that they're done. So we've come to the time of the show where I ask you, what would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everybody listening to you tonight? Hope. Hope. Received. I have life. opened my heart. <laughs> yes. Good. And I am smiling. And I, you know, and I have to say that I get such a deep thrill from seeing the herbal community offer itself up to the larger community. One of my apprentices volunteered at a local emergency room. This was a long time ago. I don't think they'd let her get away with this now. But they actually allowed her to to volunteer at the emergency room. And two-thirds of the patients she was able to send out to the lawn to get remedies for their problems, and they never had to see a doctor. (laughs) That's great. That's right. But how much better what you're offering an actual community clinic and you're not alone in it. There are community clinics now rising up in so, and community herbal clinics rising up in so many places and established community herbal clinics because herbal medicine is people's medicine. Pamela the, Fisher, the, I yeah. want to thank you so much for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients and to um, help my 
desire to reestablish herbal medicine as people's medicine to become a vibrant, thriving, and robust reality. Thank you so much, Susan. And thank you, Rebecca. Green blessings, everybody. Talk to you next week. Good night. Green blessings, everyone.